Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground. The three spooked girls. Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode of Stabby Snippets here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, and as always, I'm joined by my best friend, Tara. Hey, spooksters. Today, it being a stabby, we're going to head straight into the content. And this is going to be the story of Janet Sinclair. And this is, okay, I was trying to figure out what case to do. So I turned on forensic files because, you know, sometimes it's a great, sometimes it's like there's a case or sometimes it's like, ooh, I remember a case that was something like this. But this was one of those cases that was on there. This is a forensic file episode entitled A Cinderella Story. So that caught my eye. Ooh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's begin. Janet Sinclair was a beautiful, vibrant 35-year-old woman just trying to live her best life, literally. She was said to be athletically built, but very tiny. She was only like around 92 pounds. Oh, tiny. So tiny person. (laughs) She was an ultrasound tech living and working in North Arlington, New Jersey. In mid-August of 1993, so we go on a little back, like way back, Janet, her brother Robert, and a couple of friends, Celeste... Bethman and Nancy Matt, they decided to go on a week-long vacation to a popular vacay destination in North Carolina called Nags Head, which is in the Outer Banks. I'm not very familiar with North Carolina, so, Mm -mm. but the way they made it sound, I was like, ooh, it's going to be fancy. (laughs) (laughs) The group did a rental from like a Friday to Friday in a cottage in South Shore, North Carolina. Then the group originally planned to return home on the 27th, but they decided they were going to stay an extra couple of days. And so on August, on Friday, August 27th, when they were supposed to go home, they checked into the Carolinan Hotel located in Nags Head. And Robert and Janet shared a room. I mean, that made the most sense because the other two were like just friends. And that would have been weird for Robert to like. Mm-hmm share room with one of them so those two and it was said that they got the most expensive room at the carolina which i was just like why are we talking about that people (laughs) (laughs) the group spent a relaxing day together swimming and like playing on the beach so like throughout the week they had made local friends so it was no different when they moved to this particular location that they would kind of you know make friends with the local people and one of those people that they made quote-unquote friends with was a local bartender by the name of Edward Reed, like Edward Red, I should say. I don't know. It's either Reed or Red, but it's spelled like you read a book. Okay. So, or it's pronounced Red, whichever. So Edward Reed Powell, but he goes by Reed or Red. Oh, if I had a name. Okay, just sidetrack. Like, mm-hmm. 
if I had a name like that, I'd be like, if you're referring to me in the past, please be like red. But if it's like, if I'm present, please call me Reed. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of built in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they were having fun and whatnot. And they spent most of the day with him. Like he was working, but like not working. They have photos of him with the group. They kind of got a little like close. Well, that night, they all kind of went out. They went out to dinner and then a comedy club. And then Robert was feeling kind of like, meh. Like he he was tired. So he was just like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the hotel. I don't want to go on to get drinks. Because they'd gone to the restaurant, port call, and then they went to the comedy club. And then they were heading to the Gaslight Saloon. So Janet and Nancy and Celeste, they went off to the saloon together. And the three women were having fun just hanging out. And while they were there... Red would show up with his girlfriend. And then actually there was a little controversy there because Red's girlfriend was dancing with another guy. So they got into a fight. And part of it was is because throughout the whole day, he had been flirting with Janet and they both worked at the Caroline Inn Hotel. So she was a waitress. So she knew what was going on. That's why they got into a fight. So he ended up just hanging out with them. And eventually Celeste and Nancy were like, you know what? I'm just tired Like, they were like, we want to get home. We want to get back to the hotel. We want to pack a bit. We don't want to, like, you know, stay out all night. Mm -hmm. So they left, and they actually left Janet with the keys. And I was at first, I was like, so she's partying, and you're leaving with keys. But then I thought about it. She probably wasn't partying too hard. It sounded like they were just hanging out, having fun. And it made sense for the two ladies to walk back together versus, Mm -hmm. like, Janet walking back at night by herself. So what they ended up doing is they gave her the keys to the car. And around 2 to 2.30, Janet's brother was slightly woken up when Janet came into the room. And she said something like, it's only me. I'm going to light a cigarette and then go back outside. And then he was kind of like, okay, sounds cool, I guess. You know, like he just rolled over and went back to sleep type thing. Like no big deal. The next morning on August 28th, 1993, a local maintenance crew were working out behind the hotel. And they looked down and they saw a body. And the body was dressed in a blue tank top and was holding a pair of white shorts. They immediately called the police. The police came down. The, the police were like, oh, my God, this is so close to the hotel. Because, like, the body was 30 feet away from the walkway that connected to the hotel. You know, with all the commotion going on, Robert looks out the window and sees the police. Then he also looks over at his sister's bed, which appears to not have been slept in. Oh, no. hmm And so, you know, they kind of start looking into it and then I think they go down and they like this this is the part that's like I couldn't get a clear answer on when I was searching for like how they I think he probably went down it was like my sister's missing and then probably identified her but it was identified as Janet Sinclair testing did conclude that Janet had been raped slash sexually assaulted and that there was viable DNA there was enough DNA to get like samples to be tested against which I mean that's like I always think like it sucks It sucks all around, but, like, when they don't have enough DNA, they're like, there's not enough to test. Yeah. But thank God there was because then they could test it against people. Mm -hmm. According to the Bergen Record, which I think is, like, a newspaper, Janet survived shortly after she was attacked and tried to crawl back to the hotel. And they quoted saying, blood seeped into the white sand 25 feet in all directions. Oh, my God. Right? According to prosecutor Robert Trevette... There was something about a certain piece of evidence that was found at the scene that just like 
fucking puzzled him. He was like, I don't understand why this is here. 30 feet away, just by the walkway up to the hotel, was a pair of size nine men's shoes with socks in them. Gray socks, to be exact. Oh. When I first heard this, I was like, okay, that is kind of weird that there's shoes there, but it's also like a hotel. And I could see like a guest maybe getting their shoes really sandy and not wanting to trek it up to the hotel and just leaving them there because they were kind of like right next to it, hoping that maybe someone wouldn't steal them. That was like my first thought when I saw them sitting there like in the photo mm-hmm. or like the reenactment photo or whatever. I hope it was a reenactment photo, <laughs> not actual <laughs> footage. So I was like, okay, this seems... But he, to him, he's like, this is just weird. Like, I've never had just a pair of shoes Yeah, no, sitting right there. I think it's weird because I'm like, if I yeah. get sand in my shoes, even if it gets in my socks, yes, obviously take them off. But I fucking dump them out and then right. put them back on or take them with me, depending on what the fuck I'm doing. Like, yeah, that right. is kind of weird. I think the socks is what makes it weird. Right. I was thinking that it was just like someone like maybe it's just like, oh, I don't want to carry these up there right now or I'm going to go back out later. And so my shoes will just stay sandy. I don't know. Like I was trying to I was I try to think of like an alternative. I mean, they could have been a drunk person too, just being like, fuck this. I'm not taking these. (laughs) Or maybe they were found out. Like maybe someone left them like they took their shoes Mm, off when they mm -hmm. were sitting out and a nice person was like, here, here, these shoes, hopefully. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like like when we go hiking and stuff on certain trails, if like, you know, people lose like a mitten or a glove or something and just leave it or like when there was still snow and I had never seen this before, but like I total it's totally normal, I guess. On one of the trails we do, people go cross country like skiing on it when there's snow, Mm -hmm. which is not the weird part. But the (laughs) weird part was like at one of the benches there was like three pairs of shoes and like these little like they had like grocery bags they had their you know their stuff they don't care if someone did steal type of thing in and i was like what uh-huh. the fuck all this shit's just sitting here and then we saw someone go by and i was like oh so it also made me think of that too like maybe someone who was a hiker or something found them and was like do to do someone will come back yeah okay okay right <laughs> So, like, I, yeah, I was trying to think of an alternative thing, but the shoes are important, so you'll need to remember them for a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the police started searching for witnesses, and the problem, this is a vacation town. So a lot of people on vacation, like, you're not really paying it, like, you're paying attention to your surroundings, but you're, like, paying attention to, like, your surroundings. Mm-hmm. So they knew that they were going to have a challenge ahead, and they specifically needed people to kind of know the, where she was around 3 a.m., So they immediately go to Robert, Nancy, and Celeste and start asking questions of like who she encountered. And Robert told the police at this time that when Nancy, or sorry, when Janet came into the room, he thought he heard voices outside of the room and assumed Janet was with someone. Like maybe someone she met at the bar, Mm -hmm. maybe someone else staying at the hotel. And so they came up with several names. The first name was obviously Red Powell, also his girlfriend. (laughs) Was. So when Janet and Red were at the bar, they started hanging out and it was like very obviously the two were flirting. Now, there was another problem with what was happening with this investigation. So on August 29th, Hurricane Emily was hitting Nags Head, North Carolina. Mm. So... I mean, the day after the murder, Hurricane Emily, it caused tens of thousands of people to flee from the area. So all your witness pool is just fucking up and vanished. Right. It washed away the crime scene completely. And there was nothing like, at first I was like, why didn't they try to protect? I was like, no, because it's a fucking hurricane. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't just like a storm, like a rain. (laughs) 
Details. Details. After I thought about that, I was like, well, what kind of thing could they have built? <laughs> and then my my mind thought like they'd have to like, you know, sink a like concrete fixture. Can I into the sand. Can I tell you something I saw on TikTok really fast? I normally don't interrupt you, but it's too funny for me not to tell you right now. I'll forget. So I saw this video of, it was off some TV. It was like a clip. You know, those accounts that like post clips of TV shows and shit. Mm -hmm. I like those accounts. I do too. I, I can't remember if I followed them or not. I need to if not. Anyway, basically it was of this lady who had this like red sphere thing and it was for if a soon oh it's a tsunami <gasps> not a hurricane if a tsunami comes do you know what i'm talking I know, about i know this this <laughs> clip you speak of y'all need to go fucking find it it is so weird she got in it with her dog and then like the comments are fucking hilarious because in the narration it's like and she has 40 days worth of water but only 4 days worth of air and people are like what what the fuck? But like, obviously it floats. So like you could open the door and stuff. But like, it was just so fucking funny. And then people are like, she's going to wish she'd ever gotten there when that dog takes a shit in, <laughs> in the pod. <laughs> I also thought about that. It's like, she's in there and she has food and water. Like she has minimal food yeah. and like more water. She's going to have to poo. Right. There's pee. no bathroom thing. <laughs> and so... I bet that she I bet she has a solution. Just stick your ass out of the pod. It's fine. Oh my god. <laughs> Into the water. Tip it over. Because it's gonna yeah. be like Noah's Ark, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. No, I died. I was like, what? It was the weirdest shit. Anyway, let's continue. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> and by the way, she shouldn't have painted it red. She should have painted it orange or green, which is the two colors <gasps> that show up on water. It's a fun fact I learned from my husband this weekend who was looking for a dry bag. Good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So Hurricane Emily destroying everything. And also, like, with not only the witness pool was going away, but they were like, holy shit. Also, the the suspect pool was. But they weren't. Luckily, the investigators caught a break when the main suspect, Reed Powell, decided to stay in town, even though it was a mandatory evacuation. Hmm. People described him as quiet and he was very shy and it was very apparent he was attracted to Janet. So what ends up happening the night that the two are hanging out is after the big fight and everything, when they're just chilling, Reed says to her, well, I guess I should get a cab to go home. And Janet's like, that's nonsense. I have to drive past where you live. Why don't I just drop you off? And mind you, we know she gets back because Robert sees her. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just want to say that he didn't abduct her or anything mid-drive. Right. So, so she does. She like takes him, drops him off a little after two. And then he doesn't just stay home. So when he, after being dropped off, he decides that he's going to go confront his girlfriend. And I guess at the Caroline Inn, they have like for maybe seasonal employees or employees who don't have a place to actually like live, they have like apartments on site. So she was living in one of those apartments. So he grabbed his keys and a snack and decided that he was going to go wait for his girlfriend. And I say snack because you have to, I'll tell you why. <laughs> it gets a little crazy. So while he's waiting for his girlfriend, he sees that Janet arrives back at the hotel and she goes in by herself. And I was like, wait, she dropped him off first, but then maybe she went and got cigarettes or something like that. Mm-hmm. So and or she could have gotten lost because like she doesn't know the area. He sees her go in. Eventually, his girlfriend returns to the hotel. They get into a verbal argument and he even slaps her across the face. <gasps> 
which he admits to police. Then at this point, that pretty much ends the conversation because, like, who the fuck's going to want to sit around and talk to the person who just slapped them? Mm, yep. Bye, you fuckface. Right. So then his girlfriend goes to the apartment she has with Carolina, and then he leaves and goes back to his house. <laughs> While he's talking to police, because he's obviously been brought in for an investigation, he kind of makes this, like, weird omission Kind of. He says something that the police were like, excuse me, what? I mentioned earlier that he had a snack, right? Well, it was a stick of pepperoni or salami, like a bit like a log of meat. And in his car, he was eating it with a steak knife. Now, up until this point, the police hadn't released her cause of death. Mm. She had been stabbed <gasps> and had had her throat slit. Oh, no. So when the police hear him say that he has a knife... They were like, oh, sir, you are now our main suspect. Oh. At first they thought, like, because I think they didn't come out and say this, but the vibe I got when they were talking about the girlfriend being a suspect was maybe that Reed, because mind you, the whole time that this is happening, they're only like 100 yards apart, Janet and Reed. Like, he's in the parking lot and she's at the beach. It's a little creepy. So they're thinking that, I think the thought was, is that Reed and Janet met up on the beach, had sex. Maybe a little rough sex, but had sex and then were interrupted and he ran off and then the girlfriend killed her out of like mm. jealous rage. Oh, okay. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that seems a bit complicated. It's a bit much. Right. Because you would think that Reed would be like, yeah, and then I met up with her. Because he was like, telling the truth. So they did a DNA test on him. And at the time, so basically when they did the DNA test, it was very like, how do I put this? It was very like rudimentary. Mm. Yeah, because it was, what, 93? So. Uh-huh. So when they were doing it, they were comparing it to, like, you know, like, the DNA codes that look like little bars? They were, like, putting those next to each other. And Reed was not a match. In fact, all of the people that they thought were suspects were not a match. And obviously, the girlfriend couldn't have been a suspect. Right. Unless she had a part we weren't aware mm-hmm. of. So they were kind of like, shit, what do we do? This is it. This is what we have. So they had no, they had zero evidence at this point, but they were keeping everything on record. They tried to get witnesses to come in. They tried and tried and tried, but it just wasn't going anywhere. And the family was obviously like extremely distraught because they're like, what are you going to do? Like, what can we do? So they put up like a $20,000 reward, which I was like, I would think people would come forward and be like, that person did it. It's $20,000. But five years would pass before they'd get another lead. So that puts us into like 1998. Mm -hmm. During this time, this five-year period, the FBI had developed a new thing that was connecting all the states and their DNA samples. And we know it as CODIS, which stands for Combined DNA Index Indexing System. Sorry. Combined DNA Indexing System, which came out in 2000 or came out in 1997. By this time, like the North or North Carolina... FBI had gotten involved as well. They were like, we should really put this DNA into CODIS because chances are, if it's the, if there's a sexual assault or rape with it, he he may have been already oh. in the system. And they put it in, and amazingly, they found a match of someone who lived just an hour away. Yeah, they put it in, and 
They labeled it as unsolved homicide, no suspects. That's how they labeled it. And the DNA match was to a 32-year-old man by the name of Thomas Jabin Barry, a commercial fisherman, and he had been convicted as a sex offender. And he's not a nice person, obviously, because his conviction was for the assault of a 12-year-old oh. girl. His excuse was, is he thought she was 14. Oh, my fucking God. Or 13 and had gotten paperwork. Jesus, fuck. He says he has yeah. paperwork on it. And that it was all consensual. That's a child. Like, I'm always amazed at these, like, predator people who were like, well, I knew she was 14, but she acted real mature, and she wanted it. It's consensual. It's like, she can't make that decision until she's much older. Thank you. And he was an adult. <laughs> so, at first, Thomas totally was like, I have had zero contact with this Janet person. Like, they showed him pictures, and he's like, I have no clue who that is. I've never met her. I don't know. And then he was being interviewed again in a subsequent interview, and he recalled that, yes, he had met Janet, and they had had sex. That's not something you typically... I mean, I get it. Like, at the time, he was, like, on crack and, like, drugs and drinking and all that stuff. And so, in the interview that he gave on Forensic Files, he says... I mean, that's obvious from the DNA, but it would have been consensual. There was no, I wouldn't have killed nobody. I've never killed anybody. But the evidence didn't point that way. Mm. According to his mother and a mother of one of his children, they say that like 98% of the time he carries a knife with him and that he's kind of a temper tantrum type guy. So now prosecution is dealing with two crimes because they're dealing with the rape, which they can connect him to, but the murder, which they cannot. So they're like, what can I do to do this? And, you know, according to Thomas, he, this is the picture he painted. He tried to like use the defense that he had sex with a lot of people on the beach, like over time, like that was just a thing he did. He would say like, he would like be walking around and he'd meet people. And then like he and a woman would like start walking off by themselves and they'd start talking and have these great conversations. And then one thing would lead to another and they'd have sex. And he said, this is most likely what happened that night (laughs) with Janet is that that happened. But her friend Celeste was like, because she's on the show, she's like, "Uh, Janet wasn't like that. Like, that wasn't her thing. Like, she didn't just have casual affairs with people and one night stands. I mean, I I, I mean, you can be a hoe at 35, but like they were saying like she was trying to find the one and... Mm -hmm. And settle down. Right. Mm -hmm. And like when you're in your 20s, it's like if you have a one night stand where you forget protection, it's kind of like, oopsie, let's run to the pharmacy and get a plan B. But at 35, (laughs) that can be a little bit more like detrimental, you know, because none of us 35 year olds want to do that. (laughs) So the police were like, okay, we have to figure out a way to like make him connected to this crime scene. But it wasn't that they just had sex, that he had to be right there. So if you remember from earlier... They had found the shoes. So they were immediately were like, how do we connect the shoes to someone? And then someone on like the investigation team, I believe his name is Mark Doobie. He is part of the like North Carolina FBI. He found this guy in Canada. His name is Robert Kennedy. He's a forensic expert with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And he is an expert. He has an international reputation for using foot or barefoot imprints, particularly on the insides of shoes as evidence. Basically, there was a crime in like New Brunswick where they had like the shoes of the suspect. So they like had to figure out. So basically, they mapped it out. And it's really interesting. He says the heat from not only just the imprint, like from you standing, but the heat from your feet Mm -hmm. caused sweat, which creates that. Like, if you look at, like, let's be honest, 
we look at our sandals, like if you have Birkenstocks, if you look at your Birks, there's definitely like your footprint is right there. Oh, yeah. So Mm -hmm. they basically took like scans of his feet and then they took the shoe itself and cut it open and laid the scans of his feet. So they took, I should say, they took Thomas's feet scans. Then they laid it over the top of the imprint in the shoe and... (laughs) He had to say in the shoe that it was likely because obviously this is like a pseudoscience. This isn't something that is like high, like is recognized. It might be now, but it wasn't then. But it made it so that it connected Barry to the actual crime scene. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense to me. So they go to court and they're trying to get him on murder and rape. And... He, Thomas, Thomas Barry, this idiot man, makes the mistake of talking to a jailer. And he tells the jailer that one of the jurors knows his mom (gasps) and grew up, like, watched him grow up. And so there's no way she's going to give him the death Mm -hmm. penalty because that's what he said. I'm never going to get the death penalty, which he didn't. He was convicted of first-degree murder, and he got sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, despite that there was forensic evidence that tied him there, especially the DNA, like, literally on her. The prosecution basically said that Janet was out smoking, and he was high and drunk and came upon her, probably hit on her. She most likely rejected him, and he, out of anger sexually assaulted her and then realized, holy shit, I've sexually assaulted a person who probably has seen my face, who probably can turn me in so that he killed her so that she couldn't ID him. Gotcha. And so Thomas Barry is still serving his sentence. And it wasn't just like, the thing is, is like his mom and his other, his mother of one of his children, like they spoke in court. They said like he wore that particular style of shoe. In fact, the shoes they showed in court, they were like, yeah, those are his. Hmm. I would think that they'd be able to get DNA off like his socks, all that stuff. So I was just like, holy shit. This is one of those cases that like there's kind of like drama in it because they're like you think it's this torrid love affair and then a hurricane comes and then it comes down to shoes identifying someone wow. isn't that crazy mm-hmm. well that is going to wrap us up i hope you guys found this case interesting i love it it's interesting i did too you can watch it on forensic files i watched it on discovery plus it is called a cinderella story it's pretty It's pretty great as far as like how these detectives and investigators thought outside the box. Yeah. With that, we will see you back here on Monday for a regular episode. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.